Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. Recording in progress. It is great to see everyone this fine morning. Um, of course, my computer says 947. However, that means we're, we're a few minutes late. However, <laughs> our biological clocks might say 847. But the good news is that there's no better way to start the day, start the week. No better way to get this, what is this, daylight savings time? Is that what we are now? Savings time. Are we saving time? Yeah? Saving. Saving. Daylight saving time. No better way to get this party started than with a little Kabbalah. So today's topic is about leadership, which I think is a very important topic, especially with what's going on now. Um, hey, Dr. Maxi. Welcome. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of conversation about leadership. I think there's always a conversation about leadership and the need for leadership. But that I feel like that increases and intensifies when we're dealing with a situation or situations that are more, uh, that, that feel like more of a crisis, more of, you know, the more, more danger and crisis, we look for leaders, leadership. But there are leaders and leadership is, is, in, every, is in every area. Companies have leaders. You know, people working for a company, they want leadership. Schools, schools have leaders. Principals. Principals, <laughs> yes. Principals and principals, right? Schools. And teachers. And teachers. And teachers. And, and that's a major, major piece of leadership, right? You have to be, if you're a teacher, you have to be a leader of your class, right? If you are a business person, you are the leader of your division or company or whatever it is. If you're a human being, you're, you need to be the leader of yourself, right? Everyone is a leader. Leader of a family, leader of a community, leader of a neighborhood, leader of a country. I, leadership is everywhere. And it's... it's incredibly important to understand what leadership is because as hopefully we'll see today this is at least my plan the Jewish or Kabbalistic understanding of leadership is vastly different than the way leadership is typically understood so let's let's start with the question you know of definition how do you typically define leadership how, how do we typically define leadership give me a definition this is open to everybody leadership there's no wrong answer somebody who just directs you know a situation or other people someone who directs a situation or people good good what else sets a strategic plan sets the tr strategic plan good sounds like you've been writing grants <laughs> <laughs> or whatever yeah proposals good someone responsible someone responsible Ooh, good who takes responsibility takes responsibility yeah. good let's turn to our online crew dr maxi someone who understands what the people they are supposed to be leading truly wants and truly desires and is able to give word and voice to those deep-seated desires that the people themselves cannot give voice to. Ooh, I like that. I that's like that. That's a good leader. That's a good, that's a, <laughs> Susan said, <laughs> that's a good leader. <laughs> Who's talking about a good leader? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you met one of those? <laughs> right. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, all right, any more definitions of leaders or leadership? Leaders, leader, leadership. I mean, these are good. I, I, think, I think all of these definitions so far resonate. If anyone has any other ones, just jump, jump in. Um, okay. So, yeah. Can I talk? Um, it's me, Fran. Yeah, yeah, Fran, jump in. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, uh, I just came kind of late. I'm sorry. To no worries. We just no worries. We just got started. <laughs> oh, good. We relate. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know exactly what you said, Joy, at the very end, but I feel leaders should really listen to uh, the people and, and then um, and then d decide what the people want, yeah. need, and then makes the uh, solution to the problem. Uh, recognize the problem too. It's very important to acknowledge a problem and and listen to the people and then uh, go forward. This is very this is very important. This is very important. This is the second the second time that we've heard maybe third that we've heard this morning from from the group about the idea of listening. You know, if 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 I'm asking about leadership, we're talking about listening. The least I can do is listen to what you guys say about leadership, right? No, I just want to be authentic, but I actually like this. I like the direction where we're going with this, and I want to connect it with the chart of Sfirot, the the uh, the chart of divine energies. And to do that, let me pull up the chart over here. I'm going to print it out. Give me a moment. This is a chart that you have seen if you've been here at Kabbalah and Coffee. You've seen me do this. You've seen me print this out, or you've seen this chart many, many times. But it's very important to get a to get a handle on. Here we go. To get a handle on what the um, what the what the Kabbalists, what the mystics say about leadership, because it's very important. Okay. Oh, you have the you have the sphero chart. Oh, look at that. I have a hippie one. That's what he said. You got it. It's got way too much going on. <laughs> no, that's good. That's a very good chart. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pull up a chart here online. Printing, waiting for job to be complete. Why is this waiting? It's going to be one of those mornings. Okay. Um, I'm going to pull this up online. Maybe I'll just swing around my computer so that we can all see it as well here in person. Um, but it's very important to understand where leadership fits in the soul energies. Like what's the source of leadership in the soul? Because that's going to tell us a lot about what the definition of leadership is and like what leadership really is and what it isn't. So I actually, before I show you the, the mystical chart, typically I think a lot of people confuse leadership with like dictatorship, right? Like authoritarianism, right? Despotism. Or I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't have to sound so, so scary, but like I think a lot of people um, conflate leadership with a very strong, right, very, like very strong and authoritative and like dictative and like this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. Very controlling, that's a good word, very controlling, right? Very, very much with a grip on the situation. What I loved about some of what came up in this conversation about leadership is that it really is not necessary. Okay. Oh, am I? Oh, okay. No, you're back now. Am I back? Okay. You defrosted. I defrosted. Yeah. How, 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 this, uh, yeah, the connection here may not be great, although you would think this is great. We're in the offices, but nonetheless. How, um, where did I cut out? We were talking about dictators. Did you hear that? Did you hear that part? Yes. Okay. But I think what, what came up in this conversation, which I think is very, very important, is that leadership is really about, it's more than, it, 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 leadership is not about dictating, it's not about controlling, it really is about listening. And it really is about responding to what is needed. And I'm having, so along with the different shifts of stuff this morning, like location and everything, so the printer is deciding not to work, which is fine. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull this up, pull up the mystical Sphero chart on my screen, and then I'll flip it around to everybody here in person so that we can all see it and check it out. Um, and and you're, I'm sure everyone is familiar with this to some extent, something that I've shown before many times. Um, okay. This, this is this. Okay. We have the Sphero chart. Not as fancy. I'm kidding. Yeah, no. More interpretations. <laughs> but the energies are the same. Even without, you know, absent the interpretations, the energies are always going to be the same. We have 10 energies, although you can't see them all on the page. So let me make this a little bit smaller. Hold on. Okay. So what we have here, and this is configured in what we call in Kabbalah the partsuf. Partsuf literally means face. And instead of listing the 10 spherot in a, in, a, in a vertical fashion, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, like top to bottom, they're, they're, they're depicted right, left, center, right, left, center, right, left, center, and then center at the bottom. The reason for that is it kind of mirrors the face, right? That's what's called parts of the face, right? Right, left, center, right? You have eyes and nose and like the face, there's some symmetry there. So, yeah, yeah, that's why it's called partsuf. Partsuf means literally face. This is the face depiction of the spherot, which is basically about balance and symmetry, which is very helpful to understanding the energies. When you understand where the energies are located, right, left, or center, it helps really understand the nature of the energy. If you just have it in a single line, it's almost, it doesn't, doesn't tell you anything. It's just a list, right? It's not, this is kind of like the infograph versus a list of information. You could do more with the data in this, in this kind of configuration. So, and this, again, I, I, I know we've done this many times, but it's important so that we understand what, what Malchut at the bottom really is by understanding a little bit more about the other energies. So we have on the top right, we have Chachma, right? Bina on the left, Dat in the middle. Those are the three intellectual depicted here in blue. Blue meaning, well, not meaning, but blue kind of evoking the idea of cold. And cold is kind of the, um, cold is the, the nature of um, intellect. Intellect typically is cold as opposed to emotion, which is hot. Um, intellect is kind of like, you know, cool, analytical, detached, right, objective, as opposed to emotion, which is passionate and, 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 and very subjective. So hence the depiction of blue and, blue and red. It's not, this is not necessarily like Kabbalistic in, in the colors. This is just whoever created this chart. I don't know if I did, maybe, but whatever. That's a depiction. So we have Chachma, Bina, and Dad, which is translated here as wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. More precisely, Chachma is the power of intellectual conception, which is creative in intelligence. Bina is analytical intelligence. So Chachma is coming up with new ideas. Bina is figuring out problems, problem solving. Hey, Sindrine, welcome. And that is intellectual. Come on in. That is first time in the conference room? No, you've been here. Okay. For a class. Nice. And that is intellectual connection or the idea of focus. That is very important, as we've discussed many times, because that is where an idea moves from being abstract to being something relevant. It moves from being something that's like theoretical, like, I theoretically know about this concept versus, okay, this means something to me, even intellectually, like, okay, I'm, I'm invested in this idea. The famous example that's given is um, the, the, far, the poor farmer who doesn't know how to read. He gets a letter and he doesn't know how to read it. So he takes it to the school teacher. 
because the school teacher knows how to read. So he takes it to the school teacher and the teacher reads a letter. And the letter says essentially that this farmer's father passed away. It was a notification that the father passed away. And the, the farmer faints. He faints. So the question is asked, this is brought as a parable in, in, in uh, Hasidic philosophy. The question is, why did the farmer faint and not the teacher? Didn't the teacher also read the, read the letter? The answer is, the teacher read the letter, the teacher understands the letter very well, but it's not the teacher's father, right? It's the farmer's father. It's an obvious point, but it's very important. Why? Because um, you can understand something, but not really have it connect. In other words, feel or feel it, yeah. right? There's a, but even intellectually, that, even before you get to the emotional reaction, there's a difference in the dat between the school teacher and the farmer. Even the knowledge, so to speak, of the, of the school teacher about the passing of this guy's father is different than the knowledge of the farmer himself about his father. You with me on that? There's, like, there's a difference in, in even the understanding. One, it, not only is the feeling, but when it, meet, it means something, it, it's, it's relevant, it, it, has a, it has a significance. Anyway, so that's that. That is connecting with an idea. So we have Chachma, creative intelligence, Bina's analytical. That is kind of this focus or connection with an idea. All, right, all that is intellectual, and that's, really, that's not so much the focus of today. Let's go to, to the red circles now. I'm going to make this a little bit bigger, okay, so we can see it. Chesed, on the right side, is loving kindness. Chesed is this notion of generosity and giving and kindness. It's an openness, an expansion of self. Gvura, which is translated here as severity, is less severity, less severe, and more about withholding. So chesed is the open hand. You guys can see my hand. Look at that. Look how cool that is. Chesed is the open hand, and gvura is, it's like the hand. Wasn't that like Adam's family? The hand? All right, so the hand. So open hand. What, my pop culture references? Yeah, yeah from like age. From 19, like, yeah. whatever? Those are my, that's, my, that's my frame of reference. What's going on in 2022? No idea. <laughs> what went on some decades ago? I'm, I'm right there. Anyway, back, back to our story. So chesed is an open hand. Gvur is a closed hand. That's so, huh? I was going to say, that's where dictators live, I would imagine. Yeah, oh, so hold on. Wait, wait. We got a combo. It's a combo package. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. A dictator is not just one. We got it. <laughs> it's a little bit of chesed, a little bit of netzach, you'll see. I mean, a little bit of gvur, a little bit of netzach, you'll see. Okay. So chesed is the open hand. Gvur is the closed hand. Teferit is a little combo, a little open and closed. So it's like, it's open, but it's still judgy. So like the compassion is... Because I'm not just giving out of love, I'm giving out of like rachmanis, compassion. It's like, I feel bad, so I'm giving. So there's still the judgment of gvura, right? Gvura is the judgment. Whoops. Gvura is like I'm being judgy. But gvura usually says, I'm not going to give. I'm judging, and I deem it not worthy, so I'm not going to give. Whereas teferet is, I judge, and I deem you, you know, you know, less than me, so to speak, and, but, but therefore I'm going to give lechesis. So it's got the, the, the internal calculus of gvura, but the external uh, beneficence of chesed, if that makes sense. That's teferet compassion, that's why it's a combo. Netzach is ambition. Netzach is the idea of pushing your agenda through all the way. Netzach is not stopping until 
complete and utter and total victory and vanquishing of the enemy. Netzach is used in the context of war. Midas HaNitzachin is used. The, the attribute of Netzach, of Nitzachon, means victory and defeating the other party. Total defeat. That's not, a, not only closed hand, that's the fist. Okay, that's what Netzach is. In fact, it says that when Netzach is activated within a person, a person will go to any extreme to achieve victory. Will spare no expense to achieve victory. If it's not balanced. Pure Netzach. Okay. Pure Netzach when activated, if it's really Netzach, it never stops. Okay. It doesn't stop until, until the end. And it will do whatever it takes in order to achieve that victory. Like a heat-seeking missile. Like a heat-seeking missile. But the example that's given in Kabbalah and Hasidus is like a king who will be mevazves, who will um, splurge all of the treasures. And this is treasures that were, that were um, collected and for generations of the predecessors of the king. Right? The, the, the treasures of the, of the country, he will spend. He will not just spend. Be mevazves. It's hard... I'm looking for an English word. Not only spend, but like... Squander. Squander, almost, to achieve victory. In other words, no, no, whatever it takes, that's what Netzach is. By the way, all of these have a positive. It's not only negative, right? Positive is seeing a commitment through to the end, no matter what, right? Being strong and, you know, you make a commitment, you see it through to the end, no matter what may come. Okay, anyway, Hod, on the opposite extreme, on the left side here, right, Hod, is the idea <laughs> Netzach is pushing... Hod is pulling back. Hod is saying, all right, one second. Let me slow down. You go first. Right? Netzach is, let me tell you what I think. Hod is, I want to hear what you have to say. Hod is the opposite energy. Yesod is bonding. Yesod is the, the, the ability to create real relationships. Oh, wow. It printed. What? Thank you very much. How'd you get that? How'd you get that to print? All right. I mean, I know this is fun, but maybe you guys also want a chart. Why not? You guys can also have a chart. Would All right. you so be uh, talking across the aisle, like there'd be progressive energies versus conservative energies? Yeah, you so, you so, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. You sowed because you sowed is, is a middle energy, and any middle energies, it's all about combination of forces. So it's got a little bit of Netzach, a little bit of Hod, right? A little bit of talking, a little bit of listening and a lot of balance, right? So that's a good way of putting it. It's like being able to balance different approaches. Like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's connecting across the aisle. It's creating allegiances and partnerships. It's creating, let's talk about in business. We'll keep it safe. Let's talk about in business. Yeah. You could act, cause, right? Because, you know, it's just money at this point in this conversation. So imagine in business, you could have one approach, which is like, I'm going to like, take over your company or we're going to tell you what to do and this is how we're making it and whatever. Hod is about listening. Hod is, you know, you tell me what you want to do. Hod is, I'm open. Yesod is about finding a partnership, finding, there's a better word than partnership, finding a, it's kind of like mediation almost, kind of mediating between the push and the pull. It's also mediating between conflicting, negotiating, negotiating mediating. It's kind of finding that middle ground and it's a middle energy. That's why the power of is so powerful because it really helps us understand 
you know, the energies when you see them as right, left, center, because right energies are always going to be more about kind of like the open and the big and the bombastic. The left is always about the little bit muted, whether it's Kavura, which is holding back, or Hod, which is letting the other one go first. And the middle one is always about balancing the energies. But Malchut is really the enigma. Malchut is what we're talking about today, which is leadership. Malchut is the enigma, because what is Malchut? And if you notice the depiction, the way it's the way it's configured here, it's like everything is balanced. Everything is right, left, center, right, left, center, right, left, center. That's nine. Three, three, three is nine. And then malchut. It's like just sticking out. It's like, what is malchut? It's also in the middle, but what is malchut? So the first thing you need to know about malchut, as described in Kabbalah, is that it is fundamentally different than the other nine, which, again, you can see in the depiction, right? Because everything else kind of forms like a single body unit, and Malchut is kind of an outlier. But what is the energy of Malchut? Malchut is leadership, but leadership is very different than what many people, most people, although with the exception of our group here, because we did come up with this idea of, of leadership being more of, a, of, a, of a, a responsive listening experience, but most people would say that leadership is about forcing your way. It's about dictating. It's about telling someone what to do and how to do it, right? It's about, it's about, yeah, it's about t- dictating. It's about telling someone what to do, which, but that's not malchut, because if that's what, is that, if that's the definition of malchut, then you already have that, which is netzach. Are you with me on that? It can't be malchut, because that's netzach. Netzach is ambition. Netzach is, I'm going to, here's what we're going to do, and I'm telling you how to do it. That's, that's, that's netzach. Netzach is, I have an opinion. I'm ver- I feel very strong about my opinion. And I'm going to tell you exactly what, what, what I'm going to do and or what we're going to do. That's already netzach. So what's malchut? Malchut can't be netzach. There's no redundant energies. Malchut is likened in Kabbalah to a cup. Okay, I have a cup in front of me. I'm taking a sip of this tea. So malchut is a cup, which is it's a, it's a, a vessel that receives. Malchut is an energy of receiving not so much an energy of giving. Actually, what's interesting about, about a cup, the cup analogy, is that the cup does both. First, the cup receives, and then it gives. So just, just to be very clear what I'm talking about here, let me stop sharing for a second so you guys can see my very elaborate cup analogy. So the first step is, right, you pour contents into a cup. So I went over to our typical space, our just play space, and got, went over to the hot water machine, whoosh, toggled it, some tea and honey, and boom, that's what I got. And a little stir, boom. So the cup is holding all that stuff. The cup is holding, this cup right now is holding the water, the tea stuff, a little bit of honey, and this wooden stir. All this is being held by the cup. That's one modality of a cup. The second, watch this. The second is where the cup gives to me. So the cup is both receiver and giver, correct? But the first, but it can't give if it doesn't receive. Because if it, yes? Because if it remains empty, there's nothing to give. So the first step of Malchut, and arguably the most important step of Malchut, is the fact that it receives. It first receives, and only then can it give. Only then does it have what to give. So the first thing you need to know about the, the, the mystical, the Kabbalistic understanding of Malchut, of leadership, the first thing is, that it is a cup that receives. Without receiving, if it's just giving, well then it's not malchut. It's netzach, it's something else, it's not malchut. It's giving, it's giving something else, but it's not giving what we're talking about over here. Malchut also means royalty, right? Malchut means royalty, yes. Yes. It means royalty and, 
what's going on over here? It means royalty, and it is, it's the same concept. It's essentially the same concept. I thought of another definition, or uh, motivation. Leadership also motivates others. Motivation, but that's already going to take us a little bit away from the pure meaning of malchut. Although that is a factor as well in a good leader. And I think you know, maybe we can work it in as well. But I want to, I want to stick with, um, with this analogy of the cup for a moment. I'm just putting this back up on the screen. I'm putting the chart back up on the screen. Okay, malchut leadership. But if you look at malchut as the bottom, it's kind of the cup within which is poured all of these energies, right? Look, if you look at it as kind of like a funnel almost, right? So you have, you have a, a broader area at the top and it's all funneled down into Malchut. Malchut's power is the fact that it integrates all of the other previous nine positions, right? You have Chesed on the one side, Gvur on the other side, Tefer kind of in the middle, but you know, Tefer's also got its, its own agenda. It's not just a pure mix. It also has its own flavor. Netzachot, Yesod, and then you have Malchut. Malchut is receiving, right? It's the bottom of the funnel that receives all of the energies, and that's what fills Malchut. So Malchut is also likened in Kabbalah, not only to a cup, which receives, but to the moon, to the Levana, to the moon. So a feminine versus the masculine. I was about to get there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. no. Alert. I yeah. doing that. No, no, this is all good. There's nothing, no, this is all good. This is all good. There's nothing, nothing bad about this. This is, this is literally good. So the moon is likened to Malchut. Why is the moon, or the Malchut is likened to the moon. Why? Because the moon similarly does not have its own light. The moon, now I have to be very careful how we explain this. It's not that the moon is less than or the moon is, yeah, the moon is a reflector of a light that is outside of itself. The moon is a good steward, is a good uh, uh, um, recipient. For the first step is it has to receive and then it has to share, right? If, it, if you don't receive, you can't share. That's the way it is. If you don't receive, then you can't share. I mean, you, you can share, but what you're sharing is not what you've received. You're sharing something else. So the moon is a, great, is a great receiver and a great share. That's the way the, that's the, way the moon works. Malchut is likened to the moon. And Malchut, and, as the cup, and the moon is, as Susan mentioned, is a feminine, a very distinctly feminine energy. Now, the classic disclaimer here is that when we say feminine and masculine, which we're going to be using these terms in a moment, we do not necessarily mean men and women or women and men because everyone has both elements within their soul persona. As we literally see in this chart, everyone's got malchut, which means everyone has a feminine energy. It's just that masculine and feminine might be more dominant, the masculine might be more dominant than a man, feminine than a woman, but your mileage may vary. It's not necessarily the case. So, but it is a feminine energy insofar as it's more about a receiving energy. The way Kabbalah describes or differentiates masculine and feminine is masculine is mashpia, and feminine is mekabo. Masculine, and this is very important, masculine is, and I'm using the Hebrew words and I'll define them in a moment. So masculine is mashpia, mashpia is the giver, and feminine is the mekabo, the receiver. Now, a simple example of what I mean by giver or receiver. In any conversation, right, in every conversation, at some point in the conversation, pause the conversation, somebody is speaking, the other person is listening. And then the roles reverse, the other person speaks, and the first party listens. So it, the, the, the two parties in a healthy conversation, a healthy dialogue, take turns in the talking and in the listening. 
in the mashpi and the makabal, in who's giving and who's receiving, that will alternate in a healthy conversation. But there are different modalities. Bottom line is, when the, the one who's speaking is the one who's speaking. The one who's listening is the one who is taking in the information. So one is influencing, one is you know, uh, um, uh, projecting, if you will, and the other one is taking it in. And then that can reverse. It's not a judgment about who is the giver, who is the receiver. The point is there are different roles. And the way Kabbalah kind of ascribes these roles to energy is that the, the, when, when a person, male or female, is in the modality of giving, so that is a masculine modality. In the modality of receiving, it's a feminine modality. So the cup has both a feminine and a masculine energy to it, right? The cup is both receiver and giver. In its, in its capacity to receive, it ha- that's the feminine energy. Pas- capacity of giving, actually, maybe I want to modify it. In the capacity of giving, if it's giving what it received, then it's still, a, it's still that feminine modality. I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little bit more you know, hair splitting over here. Even when Malchut is giving, but giving what it received, we can still call that a feminine energy because it's, its way of influencing is not, through, um, is not through dictating, but it's through having listened and having taken in the ideas and then having worked that through to a point where it is, it is beneficial to those that are listening. So there's a little bit of a, of a tweak over there. One could say that any type of giving is masculine, but I think to help us understand this, let's just refer to the whole energy, the whole cup, if you will, as the, um, as the feminine energy. Now, the reason, if you want to know literally why this is like into masculine versus feminine, is obviously biologically, if you think about it in the context of procreation, there is a similar dynamic here, right? There is that which is overtly giving, and that which is overtly receiving, although, of course, the dynamic is a little bit more complex. But obviously, when you think about it in, these, in this context, you realize very soon that the feminine, although, although I will say that sometimes the fem- if you, when, you, when, when we think of masculine and feminine in these terms, and you think of giving versus receiving, we think of giving as the more dominant energy, receiving as the more passive energy. But in the context of procreation, I think it's obvious that the more active role is... The receiver. So the receiver doesn't mean a less active role. On the contrary, receiver could be a way more active role, but again, in a different way, in a, diff- in a different way. As opposed to saying, you know, this is my agenda, this is what, this is what I'm going to do, whatever. It's, it's taking in and then building off of that. That's the idea, that taking in and then building off of that notion. So hence the, 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 hence the, the, the delineation or the, the depiction of this in kind of this masculine versus feminine terms um, to, to aid in a little bit of, uh, of understanding on this. Okay, so far so good. Does that make sense? Yes, let me check in. Yes, Susan. I have a question. Is Malchut related to Shabbat in some way? Yes. Okay, I thought yes. so. But I Malchut don't... is related to Shabbat. Yeah, we talk about the Shabbat queen, right. which is the royalty of, of Shabbat, which is the feminine energy. So Shabbat is absolutely the Malchut of the week. So if the rest of the week is about doing and creating and, you know, influencing and, and telling the world what it needs to look like, Shabbat is the day in which we take in the beauty of the world, in which we um, receive as opposed to feeling the need to give. The feeling the need to give means I feel the need to, to force something, right, to change something. 
So all the types of work that we do is about, I mean, not everything that we do, but the, at least the 39 forbidden works of Shabbat are about changing something, manipulating something, saying, this is how I think it should look. As opposed to on Shabbat, we say, this is the way it looks. Let's receive. Let's and let's then receive. Restored, and then you go back out to give. Correct. Then you go back out to give. So there's always this yin and yang. There's always about this giving, this receiving, and then giving. So rabbi. Yeah. 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 Rabbi. So would it not also be uh, almost analogous to the cup analogy? In other words, Shabbat is the day we receive because if our cup is empty, we have nothing to go back out into the world and give. Very well said. Very well said. Yeah. The the Shabbat is the cup that receives. And then helps us give the rest of the week. Exactly. In fact, in Kabbalah it says that Shabbat is minemis barchen kulayomen. Shabbat is the day from which all of the subsequent days of the week are blessed. So this past Shabbat, we receive the energy that we can then utilize for this week, including the holiday of Purim. Woohoo! <laughs> Celebration. Wednesday night, Thursday. Right? So, so it's about receiving, and then that helps us give. So Malchut is a very important energy. It stands at the bottom, and thus it might seem like the lowest, and on some level it is considered to be the lowest, but it's really the highest. Right? What's lowest, and the, the Kabbalists love the old plot twist, like what seems to be the lowest is really the highest. Right? Malchut, which is the lowest, is actually the greatest energy because it takes in, and then it gives. And you know what, Mal, you know what happens to Malchut? Malchut then... Again, the bottom of this, the bottom of whatever realm this is, every world has a configuration like this. The malchut of one realm becomes the keter, the top, to the next realm down. So if you imagine, Tim, let me just borrow this for a second, right? So if you, if you layered this, that's how it would look, or something like that. The malchut of one level becomes the keter to the next level down. This would be like Atzilut, this would be Bria, higher world, lower world. That's exactly how it would look. So Malchut, which seems like maybe it's the lowest, it's not the lowest at all. Right, you, again, in, in the context of, uh, of masculine and feminine, you think that receiving is, is lower, giving is, 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 is higher, and receiving is lower. Eh, I don't know, depends how you look at it. Sure, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is when you receive, you can create life. That's kind of big. Which is higher? Which is higher? The tree or the earth? Which is higher? The tree. But which gives life? The earth. I mean, I guess the tree also with fruit and its seeds. But, right, the earth is what gives, what gives, everyone steps on the earth. The earth is the lowest. Nothing, you know, not, nothing lower than the earth, right? At least, you know, terrestrially, it's the earth. That's the lowest. We all walk on the earth. And yet, that's where that, uh, that source of life comes from. And it's by the earth receiving Right? When we plant in the earth, it's receiving the seed that it then can, can, uh, can develop. So there's nothing passive about malchut. There's nothing passive about leadership. It's very active. But it's also not a dictator. It's also not saying, this is the way it is, this is how we're doing it, etc. That's netzach, that's kvura. These are other energies. And I ha- I'm keeping this chart up on the screen as well so that everyone can continue to, continue to reference this. Th- those are other energies. Malchut is different. Malchut listens. Malchut takes in. Malchut considers. Malchut analyzes. Malchut is very much of an internalizing experience. And then it proceeds to create something marvelous. And I think a lot, some of the definitions that we had before about leadership are really spot on. Leadership is about responsibility, Right? I think a few, a few of you guys said that before. Leadership is about responsibility. 
And what I think is powerful about responsibility is that it's, what does responsibility mean? It's response ability, the ability to respond. Leadership is less about telling someone what to do and more about responding to the need or responding to the information and then guiding that situation forward based on the input. What I mean in a very, what, what I, I, I feel like I want to elevate the conversation to drop a little bit higher level and talk about um, leadership in the context of stewardship and responsibility versus just pushing my own agenda, right? A, a very small, a very, um, I would say, I don't know, I don't know how to say this. I don't know, immature, small-minded, I don't know. I'm trying not to sound judgy here, but like a very limited, that, that's a better word, a very limited form of leadership is the idea, is the notion of, okay, I'm gonna, I get to tell someone what to do. Oh, I'll be the leader, and then I could, get, I could, I could tell everyone what to do because I'm the leader. <laughs> so of course I want to be the leader. A, a more mature understanding of leadership is very humbling. Mature understanding of leadership is, it's not about me getting to tell people what to do. I'm not responsible for all these people. I'm now responsible for their success and their happiness. Think about a teacher in a classroom, right? What's a teacher in a classroom? You have now, you can tell all the kids what to do. That's the leader. It's not, it's, not what, it's not what it means to be a teacher in a classroom. It means now you're responsible to make sure that every kid, that the mind, their minds are nurtured, that, they're, that, they're, that they feel safe, right? Social and emotional well-being is taken care of. You have to make sure that they're getting along, that they're making friends, that they're learning, that it's a, it's a healthy environment. There's a lot of work that goes into that. It's a, it's a major responsibility. Now we understand why Moses said to God, no, thank you. Right? If you think about it in this context, hey, Moses, do you want to be famous? See, we typically make a mistake. I, I think mo many of us can make a mistake about this. We think that why didn't Moses refuse when God said to him by the burning bush, I want you to be a leader. And Moses says, nah, not for me. We typically think, I, I don't know, we. I think, I'm going to just say we. We typically think that why did he say that? Because he was a meek guy. He didn't want to be famous. You know, some people want to be famous. Some people don't want, to, want, to, want to fly under the radar. See, he wanted to fly under the radar. But that's missing out really who Moses was. Moses wasn't about flying under the red. It wasn't like he was a soft personality. He was a weak guy. He was a meek fellow. So he didn't, he didn't want to be famous. He would rather not be famous. That, that misses out on the whole, the, the whole richness of, of the story. The story, the depth of the story is that God says to him, I want you to lead the people. And that means to him, his life as a private citizen is over. Right? It's no longer about him. Now he's worrying about, yeah, you ever try to, try to deal with Jews? It's very complicated. Right? It's very complicated. Two to three million Jews, super complicated. Two Jews, three opinions, two million Jews, three million opinion, opinions. That's a lot of opinions. Right? It's, it's, there's a lot of stuff. And, and, and the reality is it's not specific to Jewish leadership. It's, it's, it's all leadership. Any leader, if it's really about leadership, it's about assuming a major responsibility, right? It's no longer about yourself. It's not about what I want to do. It's about what's best for everyone. It's about listening to the other. It's about, it's about really understanding the needs and the wants and the desires and the fears and the, and the joys and the sorrows. It's really about getting the other person and the other people. And it's about that responding to what they need. So God tells Adam and Eve, another example, God tells Adam and Eve, um, you should rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals. You should rule over. Uredu, but the gas hayam, you should rule over. 
So yeah, so what does that mean? Rule over. Rule over, um, rule over creation. Sounds like a dictator, right? Oh, we can do whatever we want. Oh, it's good to be human. We get carte blanche to do whatever we want. That's not what it means. To rule doesn't mean to be a dictator. Who said? Oh, because we have a lot of examples of, of rulership over the, over the centuries. That doesn't mean that that's what rulership is in Torah. Just because the manifestation was in an unhealthy way doesn't mean that that's what the Torah means. The Torah is telling us a healthy version of it. What does it mean to rule over, over, man, over, over life on earth? It means to elevate it, to be a steward, to protect it, to be a steward, and to elevate it, to guide it in a, in a proper way. To elevate, not only humanity shall elevate itself, but the rest of creation. That's the meaning of Urudu B'dgasayam. Right? That's... Um, that's why it's kind of like a garden of eating, not a forest of eating, a garden is cultivated. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Adam says maybe that's the, that's the deeper implication of the fact that it's called Gan Eden, a garden. Why a garden? Because anyone who's gardened before knows that there's a lot of work that has to go in to cultivate and nurture. You can't say, I think we should have tomatoes growing. It's great. Who are you shouting at? <laughs> you got to literally work the earth. You got to literally dig and plant and nurture and care and sunlight and water. And I don't have any gardening experience. Because I shout at my tomatoes. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't have any tomatoes. But <laughs> peaches, peach picking. I was actually worried yesterday. As I'm walking to show yesterday with the freezing cold, with like the frozen and like little snowflakes. I'm like, I hope my peach tree survives. I don't know how that works, but I hope so. How many blossoms did you have on it? So, so my kids and I noticed uh, already a few weeks ago. The flowery, the f- like flowers and buds, it was like pink on the tree. And I told my kids, perhaps, I, th- I hope, hopefully accurately, that all of those flower things are going to become peaches. Hundreds. Hundreds. So when do you think? Two, three weeks? But I'm hoping that the cold doesn't mess it up. I don't know how peaches work. Maybe frozen peaches. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> That sorbet, oh my, the kids would love that. It comes in one of those little containers that you lift off the top, little spoon that you scrape your spoon. That would be amazing. They usually come up around Passover, I want to say, right before, right before Passover, that time of year. It's coming up soon. I'll let everyone know. Don't worry. Yes, but Every, you know, the before the squirrels. Oh, those squirrels, those rats. They took all, my, all, all the peaches last year. Not all. We had picked them for a few days. But one night overnight, hundreds of them just wiped out. Oh. On the top of the tree. The top of the tree is really high. I have like one of those poles. You can't get there. So I'm thinking, like, who overnight took all the peaches? And then I'm like, no one took the peaches. And the day before, I had seen a squirrel running on the power lines with a peach in its mouth. Oh. <laughs> now, that was one peach, not hundreds of peaches. But I'm assuming if they could do one, he told his friends. But I don't know where they took it. I didn't see any peach pits nearby. I have no idea what happened to it. They literally ran off with it. And they had a peach cobbler or whatever you make with peaches. But back to our story. So, so when God tells Adam and Eve, you're going to rule over the fish of this, rule over. I mean, we can abuse God for the creation? Of course not. It's not what it means. The problem is that we're so conditioned, we're so conditioned that when you hear the word rule, right, or king, it's like we hear the, the, um, no, yeah, but we hear the, the, um, the perversion of that. We hear the, 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 the ugly version of that. We almost intuitively associate that with 
you know, oh, wow, that's, that's terrible. Oh, man, we, that's one of those biblical verses that we have to work away from. Like, originally, man was supposed to rule over the earth. Now we're supposed to take care of the earth. No, who said there's a difference? <laughs> rule over means lead. It means be a steward. Be responsible. God tells Moses, I want you to be responsible for a nation two to three million strong. And Moses says, are you kidding me? Are, do you know how much work that is? You tell, you tell anybody, you get to tell people what to do and be famous. Sure, sure, why not? What's wrong with that? But you tell someone now you're responsible for them. You're responsible for them. Gewalt. I don't know if I want that. Right? Who doesn't want to become the dictator? Dictators are easy. It's easy to be a dictator. I mean, not a dictator, so I wouldn't know, but I'm just saying... It seems like it would be easy to be a dictator. It doesn't seem like it requires easier, right, than being an actual steward and responsible for others. That seems like a much harder dynamic, right? It is a much harder dynamic, but that's what malchut is. Malchut is, malchut leadership is not about telling others what to do. It's about listening. And, and, and I know that this came up in, in, in the original conversation when I asked, you know, help, you know, define leadership. How do you define leadership? How do you define a leader? This came up, and I think, you know, this is really, really spot on. It's really spot on. This is why, this is why in Kabbalah, Malchut is understood to be fundamentally different than all of the other nine energies. All of the nine energies are self-expressive, right? Chachma is... Creativity and Bina's analytics and Dad is, is intellectual connection and Chesed is love and Gvur is withholding. Every energy has its agenda. Malchut is fundamentally different. Thanks. Malchut is fundamentally different in the sense that Malchut is not about telling you what it's about. It's about listening to what you're about. Malchut is not saying, hey, I'm Malchut. Yeah, nice to meet you. Malchut is saying, tell me about yourself. Malchut is listening. Malchut is taking in. Malchut is fundamentally um, being open to receiving as opposed to having the yearn, having the desire. Hey, Mariana. Good to see you. Hey, Mariana. Good to see you. Hi. Hey, we changed the clocks here. In the, so we're, we're already an hour... We're all messed up over here. We changed the clocks last night, so we're an hour ahead. We do that, uh, Mishagas. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get you. We're talking about leadership and how leadership is not about dictating, but about listening. It's about receiving. It's about understanding. So in Kabbalah, it's likened the differences between... There's two ways to produce fire. One way is through a hot coal, and the other way is through a flintstone. What's the difference? So a hot coal is easy. A hot coal, you take a piece of paper, you put it next to the hot coal, catches on fire. And then you have, now you have a piece of paper on fire, now the world is your oyster. You can do anything with that, theoretically. I don't know. Whatever. But a hot coal, a hot coal is a hot coal. What about, a, what about a, a flintstone? A flintstone is just a stone. How do you, how do you get the fire out of that? You have to strike it. You've got to work it. You've got to strike it. Malchut is likened to the flintstone in the sense that in order to, and, and this is a, another, the next point that's very important, in order to evoke the malchut within a person, you really need to coax it out of a person. Who wants to take responsibility 
for others. It's a very hard thing. So something, hey, you win a prize, you know what you get to do? You get to be responsible for 100 people. What do I get? No, no, you got, you're responsible for them. Got to make sure they're happy. So what, how, what, how is that like, how is that like what I, it's not a, doesn't seem like a good thing. I mean, it's a thing, but that doesn't seem like, you have to, you have to coax the malchut out of someone. So whereas all of the other nine energies are self-expressive, malchut only comes, and this is a very critical point, and I hope it's coming across clear, malchut only comes as a response to a need. In other words, when a person senses a need, there are people that need guidance. There are people that need leadership. People are looking to you to lead. God says to Moses, there's a people that need you. They need you. It's not going to be about you dictating and about your glory and about your name and about your fame. Moses' name is not even mentioned in the Haggadah. The Passover, we're coming up to Passover in about a month. Read the whole Haggadah top to bottom. There's one verse that mentions in, in Moshe. As part of a verse, parenthetically. We don't talk about Moshe. And then Moses went to Pharaoh and Moses brought the plagues. And Moses, this, it's not about Moses. Moses was a leader. He wasn't a dictator. He wasn't about him. He wasn't an authoritative figure. He wasn't, it was never about Moses. Moses was a leader in the sense that it was all about the people. So how do you get someone who is a person to become, to live their life not for themselves, but for someone else? with a lot of asking, right? It takes, is, does that make sense what I'm saying? It takes a lot of coaxing to bring out the malchut within a person. To bring out the dictator, easy. Easy. Who doesn't want to state their opinion? Everyone wants to state their opinion. Here's my opinion. You don't have to. More ego. That's ego. You don't have to coax out ego, right? Whoever has to coax out someone else's ego. You have to help someone reveal their ego. Don't worry, they'll let you know about their ego. They'll let you know. Oh, do you know who I am? The first conversation, they'll let you know exactly who they are. You don't need to coax out the ego. But responsibility? They're taking a leadership, a real leadership role, where they're responsible and they care about the well-being of others? That you have to coax out of. That requires at least an ask. You know, can you be there for someone else? That requires a summoning of a deeper strength that's not on the surface. It's a difference between the coal and the flintstone. The coal, the heat is on the surface. The flintstone, the stone, the, there's heat, there's fire inside, but it's, you got you to really bring it out. You got to work it out. So that's why God has to work with Moses for a week, seven days, right? God doesn't say, Moses, you want to be a rock star? Sure. We typically think that that's what the question was. Moses, you want to be a rock star? I was like, no, nah, I don't want to be a rock star. Don't give Moses that much credit, right? Who doesn't want to be a rock star? Everyone wants to be a rock star. What, what, what the real conversation was, was that God says to Moses, you want to give up your life now and, 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 and be there for people and, and deal with all their, ch their issues, their challenges, deal with all their fears and insecurities and help them become better people? Is that, is that what you want your life to be? And he says, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> why, why would I want that? That's, that's crazy. That's a crazy responsibility. He said, ask the other guy. He said, ask the other guy. <laughs> ask my, I, I know a great guy. Ask my brother. You ever have that question? Somebody asks you, you know, can you, can you help us? And you're like, uh, I don't know. It's a big responsibility. It's not easy to take responsibility. That's why it takes God a week. I mean, the, just using a parallel example in modern times, it took the Rebbe a year before he, before he finally committed to becoming, to officially becoming the next Rebbe. 
Why? Because it's not just, it's not, a, it's not an ego experience. It's a responsibility experience. And to bring out that responsibility, it, it's not easy. And to summon that, so, so here's, I, I want to make sure that, that this next point, that, I'm, that I, the point that I'm currently trying to develop is coming out clear because it's very important. And that is that in order for that inner sense of responsibility to come out within a person, it really comes as a response to a need on the ground. When there's a need, when others are looking towards you and they say, please, you know, we need help, we need guidance, we need a leader. You know, when you... Parenting, more than anything else, is about responsibility. Right? There's no other term. A parent is not a dictator. Oh, I get to tell a kid what to do. Well, that's great. Huh. I want to be a parent because I could tell a small person what to do. That's not, that's not parenting. Parenting is, is first and foremost responsibility. It's literally responsibility. Physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, on every level, all four dimensions, it's responsibility toward another human being. And that's a big responsibility. And it, it can be very, very fearful to, take the, to, to jump into that responsibility. But you know what helps? You know what helps? Holding that baby in your arms and them looking at you, and then you're like, okay, I think I'm needed, <laughs> right? I think I'm needed. There's no other option than to respond with that sense of leadership, with that sense of parenting in, the, in this case, right? It, it's, it's, brought, it, it's, it's summoned from within. Another being pulls that out of you. And that's really what Kabbalah says, and that's really where, where I wanted to go to today, is that Malchut is less um, self-generated and it's more summoned from the other that needs you. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a, a, a child parent, whether it's student teacher, whether it's um, um, employee, employer, whether it's community, uh, community leader, volunteer, or whether it's, uh, it, it's, it's in, in, whether it's people and Moses. Either way, it's the same. In any of these situations, it's the same thing. It's the need that is out there, the need of, of the individual or of the community actually pulls out that sense of responsibility in, 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 in the leader. And that's what it means when our sages say, Ein melech below am. There's no king without a nation. What does that mean, there's no king without a nation? There could be a dictator without anybody wanting dictators all the time, expressing ego for sure. But yes, that's, that's, that's Netzach and Gvura. All that stuff is... All that stuff is self-generated. Anything up here is self-generated. The only thing that's not emel below am is, is melech, malchut, leadership, kingship. Why is that not self-generated? Because that's responsibility, right? Who on their own is saying, oh, I want to take responsibility. No one asked, but I'm taking responsibility. Responsibility is literally, the word is responsibility. It's responding to a need. There's no responsibility, taking responsibility, without the need being there. By definition, there's no responsibility without it being a response. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Literally, responsibility means I'm responding to a need that's out there. I'm being responsible. So someone's vulnerable, someone's in need, and I respond to that. That's response. That's leadership. Leadership is not dictating, I'm going to tell you what I think. It's responding to a need. It's responsibility. God tells Moses, essentially, I want you to take responsibility for two, two to three million people. And Moses says, how about that? <laughs> However, try someone else. 
Until How old was he? He was 80. Oh, man, that's tough. Yeah, 80 years old and now being asked to be responsible for a whole nation of people. He was gone for 40 years. He had fled the country when he was 40 after striking the, the Egyptian man. He fled the country. 40 years now, he's living, living as a shepherd, doing his own thing, living a personal life in Midian. Then God... I should be retired. He should be totally retired. <laughs> totally retired. So then from that, can we conclude he... And do we know from the Torah he lived a full 120 years or more? Exa no, exactly 120. He passed away on his birthday. Yeah. Seventh of Adar. Yeah. Yeah, full 120. So he was 40, 40, 40. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, and then 40 years as the leader. So, I mean, he, this guy had... He, huh? It's tough. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Not only the age is tough. The, the concept of, of being... Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, cool. being a leader for 40 years when you're 80 already? 40 years. Jeez. It's it, it, A leader is... He, again, we are so... It's not due to no fault of our own. I'm not blaming anything or anyone. But we're so corrupted, our view of leadership is so corrupted by corrupt leaders that we think, well, that's what leadership is. That's not what leadership is. That's what Netzach is. That's what Gvura is. That's something else. That's not Malchut. Malchut is responsibility. Malchut is listening. It's responding to a need. It's the parent holding the child, the child looking up, right? And you feeling like, okay, this is it. I, this kid needs me. This child, this baby needs me. There's no... This child can't survive without me. It's a responsibility that one feels, a total responsibility that is, that is literally pulled out of a person, whether they want it or not, it's, it's evoked out of them. You can decide to tell someone what to do. That can come self-generated. But responsibility comes from without, comes from outside. The reason why we're talking about this is because our text talks about Malchut. And the goal is to understand what we're reading. The text itself is very Kabbalistic, very mystical in its, in its writing. Um, but it's also about understanding life and leadership. And, and the, the, this itself, the, these ideas themselves are, are, all, um, are all very important. In life, in today's times, when we look around and think about the leadership that the world needs, Etc. Leadership, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to make this about any specific, you know, modern individuals, but there are people who step up to leadership. They step into the role of leadership because there's a need. There's a need. There's a threat. There's a challenge. And they step up. And if, if you would ask them, you know, ask anyone, do they have the potential? They have the capacity? Who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. It's almost like you don't know until the need presents itself. And then the question is, does that come out? Do you allow that to come out? Do you summon or is that Malchut Summon? Everyone has it. Everyone has it inside. But it doesn't come out until there's a need. It doesn't come out until there are those that need you or a situation that needs. But the bottom line is that Malchut is not a self-generated energy. It's an, it's an energy that's generated from outside. And it uses all of the other, again, just, it's like the funnel. It uses all of the prior nine energies and it brings it in to then share it in perhaps a new way. Okay, questions, comments? I feel like, Donna, I feel like you had, yeah. I'm just going to say, you know, at this ultimate, a true leader will give his own life rather than have yeah. his people. Right. A true leader is willing to sacrifice, right. And, and the question is, so where does that sacrifice come from? It's not a normal thing. It's not a natural thing. 
sacrifice, to put someone else before self, that's not a self-generated thing, right? That's not, that only comes as a response. Something hits so deeply that you realize that you are now, it's almost like responsibility is like now you work for them, right? Not they work for you. So you work for them. You work for the people. The people come first. That's a radical shift. A, a life can be lived completely in the nines, the first nine, without malchut. A life, a full life can be lived on the nine, with the nine sphero, the nine soul powers, the nine energies. Nothing missing. When there's an, that, that means living your best life. You can live your best life with the nine. Malchut is radically different. It's radically different. It's not, it's not about you. It's now about the other. It's about receiving and it's about giving, and it's, but it's not about you. It's, it's the most magical of the energies. It's the cup. It's the moon. It's the feminine energy. It's the messianic energy. It's Mashiach. Mashiach is connected with Malchut. Mashiach is connected with Malchut. We live in a world of ego. Ego is essentially the nine. Not necessarily in a bad way, but this is self. The first nine energies are about self. Self-projection which is associated with ego, ego self. Malchut is about beyond going, transcending self, about the other, stepping outside, receiving. So the, in our text, I'm trying to find the page that we're up to online here. Um, in our text, let's just start off in the book first. We are exploring the way the blessing flows from above to below the way spiritual energy becomes manifest as physical blessing. Um, here we go. It's around the page 260. I believe it's 260. I believe we're up to 260. Malchot, even if we're not, that's where I want to start. Okay, I have it up on my screen. I'm going to share my screen in a moment. Everyone here should have a copy of it as well. Okay, here we go. 260 Malchut. So to understand, he's about to explain something. So what are we explaining? There was a quote from Priyat which is a book of Kabbalah, Priyat based on the teachings of the Arizal. So Priyat Chaim talks about the fact that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is all about Binyan HaMalchus, Binyan HaMalchut. It's about building Malchut. Building Malchut. You don't need to build any of the other energies. Only Malchut needs to be built. Why does it need to be built? That's literally what we've been talking about up until now, is building Malchut. Malchut is not self-generated. Malchut is pulled out. Malchut is summoned. Netzach is self-driven. My ambition, my ego, I'll tell you what I want. I'll tell you what I need. I'll tell you what I think, right? Chesed is giving. Gevura is, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell you no, right? Everything is self-generated, except for Malchut. Malchut is outside-driven. It's driven by the outside, by the other. So literally, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, the high holidays, is a time of year when we are, when, we, when our aim is to summon divine malchut, to bring out God's sense of responsibility toward us, God's investment in us, God's care for us. It's kind of like 
we're telling God why he should care about us. Does that make sense? We're kind of the child that's looking into the parent's eyes and saying, I need you. That's what happens with Shana and Yom Kippur. So let's, let's, uh, let's develop this. Malchut, to explain. Malchut of Atzilut. Atzilut is the, the world of emanation, the highest of the four spiritual worlds. Malchut of Atzilut is the source of the worlds of Bia, Bria, Yetzirah, Asiya. So the, high, the, the, the four worlds, there's Atzilut, then Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya. So Malchut of Atzilut is the source of the worlds of Bia. Like I said before, right, Malchut of this world, Atzilut, is the source, is the Keter, is the crown to all the realms that follow. As it is written, Malchutcha, your kingdom, is the Malchut kingdom of all worlds. Your kingdom, God, your kingdom, your Malchut, is the Malchut, is the kingdom of all worlds. So your Malchut, right, this level of Malchut, is the kingdom, is the head, if you will, of all the worlds. That the root of their existence, the existence of all worlds is from Malchut. Okay, that's, so, so far so good, Malchut, which is the receiver, the recipient, all right, Malchut, which is the bottom of Atzilut, is actually the source, the top, of what follows. Let's go deeper. Malchut is called Eim Kochai, mother of all life. And here we see immediately the feminine, the feminine correlation. Right? Malchut is called Eim Kochai, Eim, like Ima, the mother of all life. Why? Because it is the source of all living things and of all the beneficences 262, that flow into all worlds. Pardes, Shar, Erke Hakinuyim, on the entry of Chava, Chava, of course, was Eve, the first woman, states that she is identified, Chava, Eve, is identified with Malchut, called mother of all life. So again, Eve is the first mom of mankind, right? Adam and Eve, Adam is the dad, Eve is the mother. Eve is, in the, in the Torah understanding of, of creation, Eve is the source of all life. She is literally the mother of all life. But that's what Malchut is. Malchut is the mother of all life. Again, look back at the chart. Malchut, at the bottom, is the source, is the top of everything that follows. Let's continue. Every day, this attribute, Malchut, renews the flow of light and supernal kindness into all the worlds. In other words, every day, Malchut is generating life and giving and birthing, birthing existence beneath it into existence. Like a mother that is birthing a child every day, right? I mean, that would be extreme every day. But every day, every, really every moment of the day, Malchut is birthing and generating existence into existence. Thus, we say in the blessing after meals, right? After we eat a meal, we say... Um, the Hebrew here is, hold on. Hazan et Right, that's how it's sung. What do we say? We say that God sustains the entire universe with grace, kindness, etc. What does that mean, sustains the entire universe? Constantly being sustained by God. And, and that, where is that energy specifically? Or what is doing the sustaining? So we could just say God, but Kabbalah breaks it down. What what dimension, what level, what energy? It's the Malchut. The Malchut energy of Atzilut, of the higher world of emanation, the highest world of emanation, is what powers, what generates, what enlivens, what births the rest of, 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 of reality. Let's continue. 
Our sages say in Tractate of Odazarah 3b, for the third three hours, oh, it talks about what God does during his day. And this is, okay, this Talmudic piece, I was thinking about doing the whole thing inside, but it's very, very, <laughs> it's very complicated. Um, anyway, it says the first three hours of the day, there's footnote three, 322. First three hours of the day, God is studying Torah. The next three, he sits and judges the world. Upon perceiving that the world is liable to be destroyed, he gets up from the throne of judgment and sits on the throne of mercy. <laughs> Whoops. Then the third three hours of the day, he sits and feeds the entire world from the hugest until, to, to the minutest, from the biggest to the smallest. The fourth three hours, he frolics with the Leviathan. Playtime. He hangs out with the Leviathan. Um, okay. That's, that's what the Talmud says. And of course, there's tremendous amounts of, copious amount of, uh, amounts of, uh, of commentary on this to explain what it means. But let's get back into inside. He, he, he pulls out one three-hour segment. For the third three hours, back inside, for the third three hours, God sits and feeds the entire world from the hugest until the minutest. In fact, in the original Aramaic, it's mikarni re'emim abetzekinim. From, the, from the, the horns of the ram to the eggs of lice. In other words, from the biggest to the smallest. From like the huge horns of a big animal to... Um, microscopic dimensions. But basically, God feeds. God, God gives to the entire reality, the entire spectrum. But in Kabbalah, what that means is not rams and, and lice. It means from the world of Bria, which is the highest world, the superior Gan Eden, through the lowermost of the humble mundane world of Asiya, our world of action. All creatures come within this range. In other words, when the, when the Talmud says that for three hours a day, and it doesn't mean literally three hours a day, but it says for three hours a day, God is feeding or sustaining the entire world, uh, for all creation from the, the biggest animal to the smallest. It doesn't only mean animals, it means the entire spectrum of existence from the world of Bria all the way down to the world of Asiya, from the world of creation, which is Ganeidin, a supernal Ganeidin, to <coughs> the world of action, our physical reality. Everything, bottom line, everything is being taken care of by God. Now, again, I, I just want to connect what we said up until now with great elaboration to what we're saying inside. Malchut is the energy that feeds the world. Malchut takes responsibility. The same, I'm using the same word. Malchut is not just a dictator. It's taking responsibility to feed. Literally to feed, and I want to say feed, to energize, to bestow life, to vitalize, to animate existence beneath it. This is what leadership is. Leadership is, I could live for myself up here. Leadership is I'm taking responsibility for someone outside of me, for someone perhaps lower than me, I mean, without judging, but somebody outside of me. I'm taking leader, I'm taking responsibility. That's what leadership is. That's what malchut is. Malchut is a dimension where God takes responsibility for creation, for creation lower than, lower than God. Let's continue. And he explains how Malchut is different, and hopefully this will make sense based on everything that I said before. The attribute of Malchut is different from the other spherot in that it emanates, emanated, it emanates as a point. Malchut emanates as a small point. Nukuda, small point. Malchut is not self-developed. Everything is self-developed. Ego, oh, so, Netzach, I know what I want, I have my agenda. Malchut is a point. It's almost like, it's almost like the cup point. It's like, it's like one point ready to be built out. And the other nine spherot contained within it enter into a matter of additions. I hope that makes sense. A, a true leader doesn't come into the room with an agenda. A true leader comes in listening. You with me? Comes in, and that's what it means. Comes in, Malchut comes as a point upon, a, a, to which all of the other nine energies are appended or added to it. It's like a leader that walks into a room and says, I'm not going to tell you what I think. 
I'm going to tell you what I, this is what I think, this is what we're going to do. It's not a leader, it's a dictator. Don't, don't, don't confuse the two. A leader, the way we're defining leadership today, is someone who listens. I come in as a small point, I small nakuta. I come in as a small point, and I'm ready to absorb. I'm ready to take in the information. I don't come in with the agenda, I come in ready to listen to the agenda. That, that's what it means that Malchut emanates as a point, and the other nine spherot contained within it enter it into it in a manner of addition. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's gaining, no? It's gaining, it's, it's, it's learning, it's gaining, it's taking in the information. To illustrate, from Malchut within Chachma derives the state of Chachma within Malchut, right? Every sphere has the, the other energies within it. So every, all ten have ten. So, so Chachma has Malchut within it. So from Malchut within Chachma comes Chachma within Malchut. In other words, from the, from the, um, the, the, the most pragmatic dimension of Chachma comes the Chachma within Malchut. Malchut within Bina is the source of Bina within Malchut, and so on. But the point here is that Malchut doesn't have its own energy. Malchut doesn't have its own agenda. Malchut is the cup. What flavor is the, what does the cup have? The cup is empty until you put whatever you choose. Coffee, tea, water, sparkling water. It's a vessel. It's a vessel. The way here he describes it as a point. Now, we don't usually think of point and vessel being the same thing. But in this context, point means the same thing as a vessel. What's, what's point? Point means it's not developed. It's not built out. It's a single dot. What's that dot? It could be anything. Seed. It's a seed. Oh, it's a seed. I like that. Like a vessel. What is a vessel? It's an empty container. What can it hold? Anything. Right? It's the, the potential is there. A point. Malchut is a point. Everything else is not a point. Everything else is developed. Chesed has chesed. Chachma has chachma. Netzach has netzach. Everything else has its agenda. What's Malchut? It's like the moon. It doesn't have its own agenda. It's going to reflect. Whatever you put to it. It's, it reflects. It's a perfect reflection. Um, the light and energy within Malchut, I mean, I, I couldn't say it clear in the middle of this paragraph. The light and energy within Malchut Right. What, so what is its light and energy? Is what it receives from the superior attributes. It's what it gets from the previous nine. It's the funnel. Right. What is its, what is its energy? It's whatever it receives. And the root of the flow oh, is supernal keter. Even though Malchot sits at the bottom, but to receive, to really receive, and to take responsibility, and to honor the other nine energies, that requires a strength that is rooted a be in Keter, which is beyond Chachma. Chachma being a dat, those are the intellectual powers. Keter means the crown. So Malchut, Malchut is rooted in the Keter, which is off the page. We don't even have Keter on the page. This has a picture of it. You have it right there. Oh, oh. Is that? Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. That shows you how one leads to the other. But the point is that Malchut, Malchut, right, its strength its ability to listen, to be open, and to be responsible, and to, to respond to what it's hearing, to respond to what's needed from it, that's rooted in the highest dimension, the idea of Keter. So he explains, this then is the construction of Malchut on Rosh Hashanah. You know, this, is the, this is what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah. We're building Malchut. What does it mean? Since on Rosh Hashanah, Keter, Malchut, meaning the divine will to rule, is elicited, as explained elsewhere at length. Therefore, Rosh Hashanah is the specific occasion for eliciting light into Malchut, namely the will to rule, which means that on Malchut, we're asking God to care about us. It's, asking, it's like God asking Moses to lead the people, right? Evoking his, his willingness to lead, that's what God spent a week evoking within Moses the, 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 
the responsibility, the sense of I care about these people enough that I'm going to actually lead them and, and be responsible and on the hook for them for their well-being. And yeah, when they sit with the golden calf, who has to go to bat for them? Well, uh, Moses. Yeah, he needs this in his life. But Moses needs this. It's like, because they forget about it. I don't need this, right? You guys sin, you're on your own. That's not what a leader is. A leader goes down with the ship if, if needed. A leader's responsible. Who wants that? You have to summon the will to, for someone to lead. That's what we do in Rosh Hashanah with God. We summon God's desire to lead us, to invest in us, right? We want God to invest in us. We want God to be responsible for us. We want God to give to us. Good. That has to be summoned and evoked. And we do that every Rosh Hashanah. Every Rosh Hashanah we say, reign over the world. What does that mean? Be a dictator? We don't want God as a dictator. We don't like dictators. We want God to be responsible for us. We want God to care about us. We want God to bless us, to give us life and to give us happiness, to give us all the blessings, right? I'm not saying anything we don't want. We want God to give us all the things that we need. But for that responsibility to be elicited, we have to pull it out. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense, but it's not intuitive. I mean, it should be a given. But that God should... should, Yeah, but we want God to invest in us. Why should it be a given? Because God is God. What does he need us for? He made us. He made us, so he should take responsibility. You made us, you break it, you buy it, right? (laughs) You're right, okay. So the point is that we bring that out. We take an active role. That the even within God... Even within God, we're saying that's not self-generated. That's the, that's the idea that we're saying here. Even within God, it's not self-generated. Just like the responsibility only comes out in response to a need, God's responsibility for us only comes as a response to us asking for that. So Rosh Hashanah, we ask, and we believe that God responds. God will respond, but there has to be the ask. That's what Rosh Hashanah is about. I, I would- there's some like a, a element of free will, I think, in that in that right there. You know that you're asking for his help rather than he's just like shoving it on you. You know and saying, "Hey, here's my help." You're like, you know, you don't have a choice. You know, he's like forced. That's a, that's a nice way of explaining it. That's a positive way. Yeah. Now, God could have forced his his benevolence on us, but then it might be like, mm-hmm, I don't know if I want that. Right? right? This is a way of honoring us by by putting us in part of the process. I like that. I like the way of framing it. Right? So it's l- maybe less about convincing God and more about God honoring us by giving us a voice at the table. Yeah. Right? A seat at the table. God saying, "All right, you tell me what you need, you tell me what you want, and uh, let's 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 make this a dialogue as opposed to uh, I'll take care of you." Yeah. Cuz that's still more dictator. Right. Even like I'll take care of you is still a little bit uh, di- dictator role-ish. It's very dictatorial. Right, it's a good thing to... Dictatorial. Dictatorial, there you go. I knew there was a word. Someone must have created a word. It infantilizes people. Yes, it does. It infantilizes people. Fancy words you guys are coming up with. Right, it it, it reduces us, right, to to a non-speaking role. Right. As opposed to Rosh Hashanah, this is, we have a role. We We have the power to evoke God's malchut it's a big deal. That's awesome. That's, that's great power. But it does, it's not needed out. What do you mean? I mean? Not needed out necessarily in a fair or equal or meritorious. I don't You know, like, let's say there's... So the question is, how does God respond to that right. question? Oh, good. So we'll get there. So let's, let's talk about that. That's what we're, we're actually going to talk about, well, how does God respond? So let's do a little bit more. I know we're a little bit past time, but we'll do a little bit more so that we close out this chapter. Um, Development of the annual life force. Every Rosh Hashanah, 
a new illumination issues from the Blessed Ein Sof into the Ashwood of Malchus for the entire year. To grant life to the worlds of beyond, to provide for them, to sustain them. So every year on Rosh Hashanah, after we evoke that, God takes responsibility. God says, yes, I will, I will take responsibility. I will pledge to animate and to give life to the worlds and provide for your sustenance, etc. The light and energy contains, this light and energy contains the life force for the world year and soul of the entire year. Time, space, and spirit of the entire year. So that, that's what happens on Rosh Hashanah. However, and this is very important, on Rosh Hashanah is still in a state of bekesa, concealed and obscured. In other words, the flow of God's, of God's um, blessing, of God's beneficence, is still, an, is still hidden, is, or is still um, not yet fully defined. On Yom Kippur, it comes forth in a state of revelation, but only on supernal planes, on Sukkot. There's a progression. The day of our festival, there is a more, there's more a revelation, but it's still in a state of makiv, transcendent. On Shemini Yatzeret, it comes forth in a state of inwardness, where we receive it, we start to receive it, which is the meaning of the absorption of Shemini Yatzeret, and that's why it's such a joyous holiday, Shemini Yatzeret Simchat Torah, because we start feeling the blessing from God. After this, the light and energy issues through Malchut day by day in a palpable manner in the worlds of Biyah. The point is... Let's do one more paragraph and then I'm going to summarize because this is the end of the chapter. This is the elicitation of the supernal kindness. From Keter, there, there are elicited the chesed of Atik into Malchot on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and from Malchot into all the world. So I'm going to explain in, in simple terms what we just said. What we just said is like this. You know, when somebody takes responsibility, let's say um, a leader, you, know, you ask someone, ask a Moses to be a leader. Moses, will you lead? Take responsibility. So... Um, uh, Moses says no, and then you convince him, and then he says yes, right? But what does that mean? So what does that actually mean? What are you, what are you gonna do, Moses? Like what's, so I don't know, I'm, I'm generally pledging to be a leader, take responsibility. I have to learn more about what that means, and then I have to you know, make decisions and practical decisions and how, what my leadership is gonna look like. It's no different than a company, CEO. It's like what's needed and, and, and how am I gonna respond to that need? It's no different than a parent or a teacher or you know, uh, an administrator or a volunteer or whatever it is, you know, a community um, organizer. It, these are all areas in which initially the first step is a decision of yes, I will take responsibility. Yes, I will step up. But then how will I step up? Who will I step up for? What is it gonna look like? And then practically you know, delivering that, that, that leadership that's a process that unfolds. So what we say here is that on Rosh Hashanah, God makes the general decision, I'm in. Yom Kippur, there's, it's more specified. Sukkot, it's more specified. Shemin Atzeret, it's even more specified. And then every day, it comes down into practical action. This sets the stage for understanding why prayer is relevant every day of the year, not just Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but why prayer is relevant every day of the year. Because every day of the year, we're trying to elicit we have a voice at the table. We're trying to bring down God's blessing for that day into our lives in a very practical way. So we say, God, this is what we need. This is what we, this is what we need today. And God taking responsibility for us, please God, will deliver. Now the question is, why doesn't God always deliver what we ask for? Okay, that, that will, we will get into some insights into that as this idea unfolds. Um, the, the short answer is that the answer, it could be that it is answered, but the blessing is remaining stuck in a spiritual space. So we're getting the spiritual dimension of that blessing, but it's not being manifest in a physical way. And maybe it's because of how we're approaching it, or maybe it's because that's just a divine decision. Maybe there's a way to tweak that. Maybe there's not a way to tweak that. He's going to bring a story from the Baal Shem Tov, which I think I alluded to a few weeks ago, 
that speaks to that, to maybe switching channels of blessings. But all of that will be will be explored in the, in the upcoming weeks as we, un, as we kind of unfold this concept. But to summarize today's big ideas, so number one is how do we define leadership? Um, or how do we define, um, I see uh, Tony writes, good leadership, right? There's tyrannical leadership, but good leadership. That's what we were defining, real leadership. Um, real, true, good leadership is not about dictating. It's not about um, telling you what you need to do or whatever. It's about... It's about being responsible for the other. It's about listening and taking responsibility. And yes, it's not, it, it is about giving, but it's about giving in a benevolent way. It's giving in a different way. It's not, it's not an ego-driven experience. It's a, it's a collaborative or it's, a, it's, it's, it's about you and not about me. That's what, that's what leadership is. Leadership is responsibility, which is why Moses doesn't inherently want, doesn't intuitively want to take that because who, who wants that? It's why every form of leadership, healthy leadership, is always induced by the outside, it doesn't come from within. I think um, what you were saying about how when you ask God for stuff and sometimes you don't get what you ask for, I think like any parent kind of does that sometimes. Like, you know, if you're like, oh, mom, you're like, you know, I, I want like something to eat, I want some ice cream, and she's like, nah, like you need to get some broccoli or something. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like she'll give you things that more like what you need rather than what you ask for, I think, right. sometimes. Because you know? sometimes you don't know what you need and what you right. want. Right, that's, that's one way of looking at it, right? Yeah. 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 Adam's saying a good point. Sometimes when you take responsibility for someone and they ask for something, the answer is not always yes. Because since you're responsible for them, you know that what they need is not necessarily what they're asking for. So when the kid asks for ice cream and you're like broccoli, right, what you're saying is, I know what you want, I know what you're asking for, but I know what you need and what you need is different than what you want. Now, that doesn't necessarily help the, the heart. It doesn't just make it, because we don't, we don't understand that always, and that's, that's, hard, that's hard to swallow. But there is a truth to that. I don't know if that's in all cases, but there's definitely a truth to that, as, as some other truths. But that's a very good point to mention. And that's something that's discussed in the, in the Kabbalistic tradition as well, um, extensively. That coincides, I believe, also with the principle, God doesn't give you a challenge that you can't meet. Right. Right, and maybe the challenge, maybe the no is for us to summon a greater strength. Again, taking responsibility for someone doesn't always mean saying yes. Doesn't always mean giving them the easy path. It means it's complicated to be a leader because you have to know what's best for the person. Even if they tell you what they think is best, you have to really use your own judgment sometimes. Not in an ego way, but in a really listening way, understanding who they are to then respond in the best way. But the bottom line here is that... When it comes to leadership, good leadership is about listening. Good leadership is about being a cup that receives and then being one who gives. It's a cup that receives and then the cup that pours and gives. It's about caring about the other, taking responsibility. It's about um, really being selfless. It's about the earth being open to taking in a seed, cultivating it, and then allowing something greater to grow from it. And it's about, not about taking the glory. No one, there's no glory in the earth. Everyone steps on the earth. But the earth is what makes everything grow. It's from the earth that everything grows. So it might not be glorious, but it's beautiful. Leadership is not about glory. Leadership is about being there for others. It's about helping. It's about being a steward. It's about being responsible. This is powerful. Teachers don't get enough credit. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, I'm speaking to you and, of course, to everyone who's... Do we do it for No, no. It's, no there's no glory. There's no glory. It's, it's not for the glory. 
But what's the point? The point is to, to, to help There's a greater good. change they a child's call, life. They call it kindergarten. I don't teach kindergarten, but it's children's garden. Kindergarten, yeah, right? It's right. a garden. Children. Yeah, it's about, it's about cultivating. cultivating. It's about cultivating. There's a responsibility, an immense responsibility. What greater responsibility is there than in molding the minds and hearts and lives of a child? There's no greater responsibility. It's not about the glory. It's not about ego. It's not about self. It's not about, this is what I think. I want to start telling kids my philosophies on life. That's not what a teacher is. Teacher is about understanding the child, getting to know the child, and helping the child, responding to their need, and helping them become the best person that they can be. That's what a, that's what a, that's what a, a parent is. That's what a teacher is. That's what a leader is. That's what a CEO is. It's about bringing out the best from your team. It's about bringing about the best from the company. And, and that's what malchut is. And so at the core of it, malchut needs to be needs to be pulled out. And that's what we do in Rosh Hashanah. We pull out that malchut from God. We pull out that sense of responsibility so that God cares about us and God does care about us. But, but we have a seat at, the, at that table to be part of that conversation, to evoke that, and then the blessings follow. And the blessings follow in a staggered way. First, generally, and then a little bit more specifically, and then more specifically, more specifically. And this will set the stage for what we talk about in the next few weeks about how, that, how the output from above flows. And by the way, all of this, all of this, is about a greater understanding of why it is that we should never sacrifice our spiritual values in the pursuit of making a living. Because at the end of the day, all of the blessing comes from the source. So to sell out our spiritual values in pursuit of, of a higher connection would be to subvert the whole experience because ultimately the blessings do come from God because God does take responsibility for us. What's the lesson? What's the walk away? What's the, what's the takeaway from today, perhaps? We, can all, we are all leaders. We are all leaders. No matter what you do, who you are, where you are, you are a leader. You can be a leader. And what it means to be a leader is to take responsibility for another. Well, for yourself. Take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for the other. And, and in, in a way that's not about you, but about making, helping the other become greater, making the world become a better place. Etc. This is reflected this week in, in the story of Purim. I'm, I'm almost ending this class like three times, but very quickly, the story of Purim, the story of Purim, Queen Esther. What does Mordechai say to her? He says to her, you're the queen. <coughs> you now have a chance to save, the, save your people. Right? If not you, someone else can do it. But this is your chance. This is your unique opportunity. You were put in this position <coughs> to take responsibility for your people. And she does. She responds. This is the lesson for all of us. Be, be, a, be your inner Queen Esther. Find your ability to make a difference, your ability to make a change, <coughs> your ability to take responsibility to someone else for someone else and, uh, and step up. God knows we need, the world needs leaders. So be that leader. All right, thank you for joining me today, this morning for Kabbalah and Coffee. Um, don't forget, we have a few Purim-related um, items coming up. We have tonight a lecture online on Zoom, Zoom only. It's called Behind the Mask, taught by Mrs. Becky Miller, a local uh, Atlanta teacher and scholar. She's going to be teaching at 8 p.m. Behind the Mask. It's a free event. Just go to the website, sign up, and I'll send out the link soon. Um, tomorrow night, we have Purim Boot Camp, which is all about... <laughs> it's not what it sounds... It's not, it's a spiritual workout. <coughs> Although we have like a yoga studio here and whatever, but it's a, um, and a workout room next door. It's a spiritual workout, 60 minute spiritual workout. And it's all about how Purim saved Judaism. How Purim saved Judaism. 
So that's coming up tomorrow night at 7.30. Wednesday night is the holiday of Purim. We have a Megillah reading and a Purim party. And on Thursday, we also have Megillah reading and Purim party. Check your local listings for all the details and the times, etc. Chabanatown.org for that. InTownJewishAcademy.org for all the classes and events. All right. Thank you for joining. Great to see everyone. David and Tony and Joy and Mariana. Good to see you. And Fran and Fran and Richard. And Mariana, I feel bad. But yeah, we do this time change thing. (coughs) So... Okay, good. Good. Pleasure, pleasure. We'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Very inspiring. Thank you.